Hey guys, welcome to the Short Term Show special episode series on one of my favorite markets of all time, the Texas Hill Country, Hook'em Horns. So guys, we're gonna do a 10 episode deep dive on investing in the Texas Hill Country. And we got 10 episodes here, I just said that, but make sure you hit that subscribe button because we are gonna do a quarterly update that you don't wanna miss, you guessed it, every quarter. And we do have some supplementary materials for y'all in addition to the content on this podcast. We've got those over at our website, theshorttermshop.com. So if you wanna know anything about purchase prices of properties in these markets, or we've got all of the income data, thanks to our friends over at AirDNA. And we've got all of that for you again at theshorttermshop.com. If you guys wanna buy a short-term rental with a short-term shop agent in the Texas Hill Country, email us at agents at theshorttermshop.com and we will hook you up. Or if you just wanna hang out with us more and talk about short-term rentals, there's a few ways you can do that. Uh, We've got a great Facebook group, same title as my book. It's called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. Or if you wanna talk to us live on Zoom, we have a call every Thursday. You can sign up for at strquestions.com and we will catch you guys over there Hook them longhorns. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Short Term Show special episode series on the Texas Hill Country, one of my favorite markets. You guys have heard me say that for about five episodes now, so I'm going to try to stop saying it. Uh, anyway, today we are talking about income and income only. The next episode will be about expenses. So two episodes that encompass the analysis phase, but today we are talking about income and we've got some really cool guests to help us talk about that and learn more about it. So first we have Karan Narang, who you may recognize from some short-term show episodes, but I will let him introduce himself and give his experience in this market so far. Thanks, Avery. Uh, So yeah, my name is Karan Narang. I've gotten into the uh, short-term rental uh, business now in the last two years, maybe two and a half. Uh, in the last two and a half years, we've built up our portfolio, you know, to about, it's uh, it's $11 million real estate portfolio. You know, our expected uh, total top line revenue for 2025 with all the properties we're putting in service, oh, sorry, 2024 with all the properties we're putting in service uh, is expected to be about $1.5 million next year. So uh, that gives you an understanding of what our portfolio looks like. And uh, my wife and myself are planning on moving into uh, the short-term rental business full-time uh, sometime in the next six to eight months, if not sooner. Oh, well, that is really exciting. So what, just to give a little context, what sizes are your properties in the Hill Country? What do they range from? So uh, typically we go for bigger properties. The property that we have in the Hill Country, you know, the, the only one that would officially qualify as being in the Hill Country would be, it's a seven bedroom, five and a half bath, sleeps 22 people. Uh, we tend to like the bigger properties. Most most of our properties, doesn't matter where it is, whether it's Gulf Shores or uh, Broken Bow or in Texas, they're all larger. We tend to find properties that sleep a minimum of eight, uh, and we prefer something that sleeps a minimum of 14. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, next, we have Stacey Lancaster. You guys are familiar with her already, but go ahead and introduce yourself again, Stacey. I am Stacey. I am the Texas Hill Country agent. Um, got into short-term rentals about three years ago, and we now own three that we uh, self-manage remotely. All right. And last, we have John Bianchi, the Airbnb data guy. John, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, appreciate it. Um, so I am the head of data for TechVestor, and TechVestor is a short-term rental investment fund. Um, we've raised about $40 million in the past 15 months and bought 
over 80 properties across somewhere like 10 to 12 different markets. Um, and it's my job to identify what is the absolute best market for us to enter into. Uh, what is the absolute best thing for us to purchase within that market? And how do we maximize the revenue of every single property that we purchase? Uh, so that's what I do during the day. But I also have a Airbnb data consulting business where I help other people uh, understand my processes to be able to do the exact same thing for themselves. And so I live and breathe Airbnb data all day, every day. However, I do want to mention that uh, the last time I was on here, uh, you had asked me about cash on cash. And I and the funny thing about this is that I live and breathe Airbnb data. However, I have not purchased my own property yet. So I'm in the process of actually figuring out, you know, buying my own property and getting my own real estate and doing joint venture deals. I have had 15 Airbnb arbitrage and management contracts. However, I have not purchased. And so um, even though I know the data inside and out, I just want to kind of mention that because I think it's good for people to know. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I appreciate that. I yeah. appreciate that. All right. So, well, let's talk about what cash on cash return is first. So guys, if you've listened to our other market episodes, this is going to be a little bit redundant, but the point is for these 10 episode series to stand alone for each of their markets. So you don't have to listen to every single market for it to make sense. So we're going to go over a few vocabulary words really quick quick uh, for those of you who might not be familiar. So cash on cash return, typically uh, the most widely used uh, way to figure out if a short-term rental is worth buying or not. And really what that is, it, it's very simple, is the number, the amount of dollars you put in to acquire the deal and fix it up versus the amount of dollars you have in your bank at the end of the year after all of your expenses. That includes your mortgage, includes your financing. There are some other um, things you can look at, such as cap rate and net operating income, but those do not include your mortgage or your, your debt service. So I like to look at cash on cash return because it includes everything. And um, it doesn't really leave. I feel like a lot of times when people start throwing around terms like NOI and cap rate, newer investors can get a little lost because they think that's the true net, but it's not. It does not include your debt service. So for all intents and purposes here, we are going to use cash on cash return, um, but wanted to set that, that standard uh, really quick before we move on. So uh, let's talk about income numbers in the Texas Hill Country. So are there any areas or... Actually, John, I'll let you start with just a, a brief synopsis, and then we'll all have questions, you know, based on a number yeah. of things. Yeah, this will be fun. So I'm the only one who doesn't have like actual experience in, in that area, but I've just looked at the revenue from a high level. So I'm going to spit about, spit out a whole bunch of things that I saw, and I'd love to hear everyone's feedback on it. Um, so there's obviously, I, I like you said, Avery, at the beginning, you really like this market. This is my first time like really diving into this area and I genuinely loved it. Like the the Airbnbs themselves, the way that they look, the amount of revenue that they're making, it is a very quaint, nice market to be a part, like in and it's very large as well. And then you also have San Antonio and Austin that are super close driving all of that revenue. So, you know, Fredericksburg is obviously the main core area where the most money is being made out of all these different markets. Um, I looked up some articles to try and understand all the different little cities that were important here um, to figure out, you know, which one should I be studying and looking into. Uh, but it was interesting to see the revenue would continually uh, drop off as you would get into these sort of other locations. And so the rev like the most revenue without a doubt being made is in Fredericksburg. Then you got New Bronzeville, I believe I'm saying that right, as being like the second New largest. Brothels. Yeah, New Braunfels. <laughs> The, the second most money being made, right? Then it goes into Canyon Lake, then Wimberley, which is my favorite, uh, Dripping Springs, then Spice 
wood and then marble falls. And then it sort of just kind of falls off from there. Um, but you know, going through all this data, my whole job is to try and find cash flowing properties. That's that's what I do. And so when I'm looking at these markets, I'm looking at how much revenue is being made, but then I'm also trying to see what kind of properties are for sale and how much they're going for. And I think I'm just going to throw this out here, but I thought the best cash flowing area was Wimberley and uh, with Fredericksburg potentially being the second best. Okay. Um, I'm going to completely delete that from from the episode because Wimberley is where I'm looking. So John, just go away. Anyway, I'm not deleting it. I'm not going to delete it, but okay. That's my favorite area anyway. So that's, it is, it is good though, to know that the data, because my mind is not as data and detail oriented yeah. as yours. It's good to know that mine and yours have, have converged. Uh, but let me make sure I get under contract before this airs. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> well, that's that's good. See, this is all this is high level. You guys have the actual tangible experience, so I'm glad I'm, I'm on the right path. Um, yeah, let me just uh, interject a little yeah, bit please here. Do. And Avery, I think this is for you as well. Uh, I think the most money is to be made in places that are not common that people don't understand. Um, you know, Wimberley is popular. People are going after properties there. Um, revenue, I think returns are, you're going to start seeing them dip. Um, people, people tend to flock to these regions. New Braunfels is almost similar. Um, for example, my property is in a little town called Jonestown. Do you guys even know that name? Okay. So we'll talk about numbers in a little bit. So to me, this is why I wanted to make sure, you know, that morning episode we were supposed to have about, uh, what you should look for, what to buy. I think that's what it was called. Uh, I think that was a critical one because people are going after these properties that are the most obvious short-term rentals and, you know, the most obvious things. You don't want that, actually, because uh, you you want to find yourself in a position where you can make abnormally high returns uh, versus, hey, just the regular 20% cash on cash, right? So it's a little- actually, if I can, if I can jump in, because I almost want to, I, I agree with you. I fully, fully agree with you. If you're experienced is the way I would kind of think about it, because in these, in, yeah. right, right. In, if you know how to put together a listing that is going to dominate. And if you understand what is the, the best possible thing. So you actually already mentioned this at the very beginning in your intro, where you like to go for bigger homes. That was yeah. without a doubt. The one thing that I saw within all of the markets, the larger the home, the better you're going to do. If you're focusing on weddings, the better you're going to do. If you have a pool with character and the home has a ton of character, the better you're going to do, right? So my my thought, and I agree with you, is if you can find something that kind of matches up with that, that's not in one of the main areas, then you'll do well, right? Um, but for somebody who's not as seasoned and maybe wants a little bit more of like a guarantee, then those those markets I was just mentioning, I think would give somebody a little bit more security because the there's, there's like San Marco, only had five listings that are doing over 100,000. Johnson City only had four listings that are doing over 100,000. Driftwood only had three and Lockhart only had two, right? So if you're going to be, if you're really good, you can go into those markets and get crazy returns. But if you're not, yeah. But can go get creative. For example, you brought up a good point. You know, our property is all about, we have weddings and events. People about that but our numbers speak for themselves and that all of the homes that i just mentioned that are doing over a hundred thousand in those smaller areas they're all focused on weddings they're all large homes they all have character they're all you know what i mean it's it's that's another reason i really like this market is because it's very clear who the customer archetype is across the entire area and and yep. it, all of the homes that are at the top doing really well all look the exact same as well for the most part there's not a bunch of different designs so to you know put together a home that people want you already have everything laid out for you of exactly what it should look like. 
Yeah. And one for, most, for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we would have a, uh, we could really get into it. One other thing I wanted to mention too, was that I thought this was a, an amazing area for unique Airbnbs, small one bedroom, romantic, uh, you know, uh, secluded, uh, with a lot of land sort of romantic getaways because you have people after the wedding that they just want their own little space. And then they, they have that really, really once in a lifetime Airbnb. Right. And there's a, there's actually one that was a one bedroom, super unique design, making $175,000 a year, which wow. blew my mind. Yeah. So, and then there's like domes making over a hundred thousand with, with, uh, with some decks and views and, and little, uh, cowboy pools. So anyways, a lot of potential for those as well. Yeah. yeah. So that's my high level review. Was that good okay. enough? Avery? Yes. Yes. So, um, <laughs> a lot of questions, of course. So, well, we've identified two, maybe three, two, well, two A and two B ways to really do well in this market. So Karan's method of buying big, huge properties and um, really doing the wedding thing. So let's talk about that for a minute, um, Karan. I would love to hear about your wedding venue property that you have and how it's doing. So our property, like I mentioned, is in Jonestown. It's funny. It's actually, I think the domes that uh, John mentioned are very close to my place. Uh, The domes, I think, are in Lago Vista, which is the next town over from me. And um, it's a little unknown town, but what happens is our property shows up and someone looks for Austin. Our property kind of shows up because it's close enough. And um, the property itself is spread on 10 acres. And it's uh, two separate structures on property. So we sleep 22. Uh, we host up to 70 day guests because that's what our uh, space can accommodate uh, from an event uh, thing. We've already had two full-blown weddings there. We're booked for several more this year. We're booked for a wedding, I think, even next year in February. So um, we've got several weddings on the charts. Um, our, our ADR, the way I look at it is we've invested... For example, you know, we've invested our total investment in that property. It's about one and a half million dollars, give or take, something like that. Uh, we got lucky because we can't find anything like that anymore. I'm constantly looking and I can't find it. Um, we actually did, did a cash out refi and it appraised at uh, close to two million dollars. So uh, there's nothing available similar to that. Our, we're lucky because our average, our ADR on the property, and I was just looking up these numbers, our ADR on the property is about $2,100 a night. Right now, how do we push up that ADR? And I, and this is how I look at it: whether it's an event, a wedding, a birthday party, a graduation, we charge an event fee. Right, the event fee, the property is still the same. We may have a little extra cleaning, but apart from that, that's your investment. That's the property you already built it. It's got the space. You're using the space in a different way. So if you charge an event fee, so a typical wedding for us, Avery, and I think this will interest you, is twelve to fourteen thousand dollars. Okay, so we charge between twelve dollars and $14,000 for a weekend. You can't just have a wedding at our place. Most wedding venues that don't have accommodation let you rent between 10 a.m. and like midnight, right? We, for us, if you want to have a wedding at our place, you're booking out the entire place for two nights. So accommodation for two people or for accommodation for 22 people for two nights plus event space on an average 60 to 70 guests, you're probably ending up at between twelve and 14000 somewhere in that range. Like right now for 2024, we won't book a wedding unless it's 12, you know, between 12 and 14,000. If there's a wedding two weeks from now, I'll probably let it go at 9,000, right? So it's, it's, but if it's 2024 wedding, it's 12 to 14,000. That's it. Now, what that does to me is that's the total revenue we generate in a weekend. That goes straight. That's my ADR, right? I mean, that's that cost, that money contributes to my ADR. 
I'm maximizing the revenue potential of exactly the same investment, the same property versus renting it out as a nightly rental on Airbnb or whatever, right? Two nights rental versus wedding, two nights rental on an average for us um, so far has been about 2,100, give or take, right? Or whatever the, the nightly rate is. If I'm able to book it out for a wedding instead, I can actually get 12,000 for the weekend versus 6,000 with a two night stay, right? So to me, that bumps up the ADR. It's the same investment, it's the same property. Yes, there's a little more overhead, a little more cleaning or whatever, but we also charge a bigger cleaning fee for a wedding. So for me, same property, same investment is being put to a different use compared to a normal rental, and I'm I'm bumping up my ADR significantly. I got, I got a question on that. So how much extra work are you doing when a wedding is being booked? Because really, once you start talking about catering to weddings, to me, that's almost two different businesses, right? You've got the business venue, and then you've got the Airbnb. So my curiosity is like, are you just saying like, okay, now it's a wedding venue, and I'm charging you 12,000, you do whatever you want with it? Or what additional work do you have to do? We don't do much additional work at all. Awesome. Because the space is the space, the stay is the stay. When someone comes and stays, they're still using the same spaces. We now, what we've done is to increase the value and to get more weddings, we've invested in chairs and tables for 100 people, right? We have a place to store on property and we, we throw that in as a freebie. Hey, here, here's chairs and tables for you guys to use so you don't have to rent it from someone else. Right. We have a backdrop that we create for the weddings, which is you know two triangles, right? You've seen those triangle backdrops because that signifies our brand adventure awaits, right? Two A's, you know, it looks like two A's. We say, we'll throw in the backdrop if you want to use it. We also in our contract say, we are allowed to use their pictures and all that stuff, but it's the same property and same space. Now, after they leave, there might be more trash. There might be more stuff going on on the property, but generally it's the same, you know, it's not like we're doing a whole lot more. And, yeah. and now they're free to bring their own caterers. They're free to bring their own, uh, DJ, if they want to do that, but they clean up after themselves. You know, we're not we're not uh, doing all that stuff for them. The um the, for the the marketing on that, how are you marketing that differently? Like, so obviously you have all the chairs you set up, and like you just said, you're allowed to use their photos. Are you allowed to then um, post all of those photos? Do you have all those photos on your Airbnb and showing it off that it's an actual listing, or are you marketing it somewhere else? We, we do have uh, some of the pictures on Airbnb. We include some because we want to highlight the property, but we also want to highlight that we can have weddings. Just so you guys know, in the last 30 days, and I just looked at this number, uh, in the last 30 days, we have had over 42 inquiries for weddings on Airbnb. Oh. Airbnb and VRBO. Okay. I have a quick question. So you keep saying 2024. Are you already booked up for all of 2023 for weddings and you're now taking 2024? No, we're not, right? Oh. So we only started truly pushing the weddings. Our first wedding was, I think, in November. And we started pushing for weddings because last year, sometime in August, there's this whole area of the property that we put in, put down turf, about 3,500 square foot of turf. Because what do brides want? They want this evergreen hill country thing. If I mean, if you want to discuss the property, we can certainly go through and I can walk you through what it looks like because it's hard for people to visualize. And um, so we did all this work. We started marketing heavily for weddings then. Now, what you'll find if you want to get into the wedding business is people book weddings far in advance. Your weddings don't come in. Most times the weddings don't come in within 30, 60, 90 days. People are currently booking weddings for 2024. They're actively looking for spaces for 2024. About 60% of inquiries we receive for weddings are for 2024. So we really think that property will have maximum potential from a wedding perspective 
would probably grow even more compared to what we're doing right now in 2024. Because if we wanted to book a lot of weddings in 2023, we should have started pushing the wedding thing in last spring, 2022 spring, because people book almost eight months, nine months, a year in advance for weddings. Okay. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So. Okay. So the big way one to do well in this market is the big properties where you can host weddings. Way two is, wait, what was, okay. So hang on. Now I've got like four ways in my brain. So there's doing the big properties. There's doing the thing where you're going into areas that don't have a lot of high performing properties. If you are a, an experienced manager and just beating the pants off everybody. And then there's also the small unique stay way. Is that right? If I missed anything? Yeah. So I missed actually something. So that was right. But there's one thing that I missed and I noticed how like pools are a huge revenue driver in almost every single market. However, for this market specifically, almost every single top performer had a pool. And if you didn't have a pool, you had a ton, a ton of land. So uh, like Karen, do you have a pool in any of your properties? I think it's a so the, the property we're talking about actually has a pool that looks like an it's an infinity pool. Uh, that's nice. why I said it's important to walk through the property with the numbers. There's a lot of people out there who are now looking for properties in the hill country and everything. But what they don't realize, so Avery, to your point earlier, right? There's four different ways or five different ways. Now, by the way, in Texas, if you want to do well, it doesn't matter whether it's in hill country or somewhere else, you absolutely want that pool, right? Without the pool, you're not doing well. One of the things we did is we also added in pool heating, right? So we heat the pool in the winter. February was a big month for us. I can't believe it. February was unbelievable and March was unbelievable. So we we're already off to a big start. So to me, pool, pool heating is important. But more importantly, I think, you know, when people are looking to see what do I buy in the hill country, if you go and you say, hey, I'm just going to buy this, you know, 3-2 downtown Fredericksburg, you'll do okay, by the way, right? It'll do well, you'll do $100,000, no problem. But if you want that abnormal return, something different, you better try to find something unique. What we like to do is we like to create little destinations for people, right? So I want large acreage. I want, you know, I when I'm looking for properties, I'm looking for three acres plus. So it needs to be something bigger than three acres. If it's less, I don't want it because I want a bigger space that people can gather. I can have 20 people from family or friends or whatever getting together, just having a great time and doing nothing else. That's all they do, by the way. They don't do anything else. So to <laughs> me, a large space, 4,000 square feet, five, six, seven bedrooms, sleeps 20 plus, and you're creating a destination. Once people get in there, they don't want to go out. They just want to hang out at the pool. They want to sit around the fire pits, all that stuff, and then have a good time. Two, two questions on that, if I can jump in. So everything you just mentioned is what I refer to as like the buy box for an area, right? All, all the different sort of criteria that you need. However, yeah. when you go and find your properties, do you try and find older, unique looking homes? Because there was a certain sort of like white oak brick that kept showing up everywhere with like old concrete. It, it, do you look for homes that have that specific look to them? So it has that character? No, I'm not necessarily looking to see that it needs to be a certain look or feel. I just, I like to see the property as a whole and say, does this fit the vision that I have for what this property can be? When someone walks in here, and if I'm that guy who walks in there and pays $2,500 a night, does this feel $2,500 a night? Does this look $2,500 a night? And, and I'll tell you what, my property, so you know, is nothing special. The property, we've got two structures, the main house, we didn't even fix it up. We've done some work in it, but it is a basic, simple home. It, it's nothing fancy. It's a 25-year-old home, right? 
the, mm-hmm. the second time we tore it down to the studs and we put in a lot of money to rehab it because it was in bad shape. But the homes themselves are not like unbelievable wow kind of factor. It's the rest of it, the whole property as a whole, how you enter the gates and how you go in is a big roundabout. And then you just walk to the back of the house and you got this wow view out there. It's that all of a sudden people are like, man, this place is awesome. And yeah. they don't inside they're hanging out outside so love that that's what i actually refer to as an inefficiency within the market so in other words you found a home that you know maybe didn't cost an arm and a leg but you're st- it still had all of the other requirements that you're looking for that were going to allow you to drive revenue um yeah. the other thing that i was wondering if you've ever considered is i noticed that like i just did a um search right now and there's hardly any homes that have pools and so you know let's say you did find a home that was everything that you're looking for but didn't have a pool it obviously would be cheaper do you think it would be worth it to add in the pool, even though there's, you know, construction time and, you know, $100,000 pool, whatever it ends up costing uh, to make it look as beautiful? Do you think it'd be worth that investment? hundred percent. The summer, and I think Avery, you know this because uh, you were from Austin, right? You went to college in Austin, I think. Right? Yeah, I'm not from there originally, but yeah, I went to UT and I lived there for about six years. Yeah. So you spent six years here. The summers are hot. August and September, people don't want to get out. And if you don't get them, get there, give them a reason to get out, either the pool or something like that, they'd rather stay in the air condition, right? They don't want to go out. So instead of letting letting that affect your bookings, having a pool is is easily an attraction. Nice. That's kind of what I was thinking. If I were to be buying in this market, I probably would be trying to find the home that had every single thing I was looking for without the pool, and then probably adding in the pool because it seemed like it would be cheaper to do that. Um, yep. you know, with and you have all the land to do it, so might as well. Sure. And I agree with that in pretty much any market that a pool all the time, like I haven't found a market yet that a pool is not a huge income driver. So for me, at, at least at the at the point I am in my career now, I'd rather buy the cool property and put the pool in later. Um, but to me, it's a thousand percent worth it. I've never seen a time that a pool wasn't yeah. worth it. And yeah. the, the pool heater, actually. So TechFester puts a pool heater into every single home that we buy, no matter what. Doesn't matter what market it's in, no matter what we put a pool heater in. Uh, and that was actually a huge mistake that I made going into Scottsdale when I was doing arbitrage. I went into Scottsdale, got two properties, thought I had all the requirements that I needed, but both of those properties didn't have pool heaters. And because of that, it was almost impossible to get booked over everybody else because it's a very competitive market and everyone has a pool heater. So we, pool heaters are the best revenue driver. Yeah, we actually put in a pool heater uh, on our in our property and we charge 400 bucks to heat the pool for three days. And people pay all the time. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll heat the pool if you want it. Yeah. Got to have the pool heater if you're going to have the pool. And I always tell people in the Texas Hill Country, if you buy a property that does not have a pool, it's going to rent just fine. But you're definitely going to be able to charge a premium um, if you have a pool and, you know, it will boost your occupancy. Um, and, and, but mostly that ADR is going to go way up. I, I, I probably I emphasize the pool probably a little bit too much. Obviously, it'd make, you'd make more if you had a pool, but you definitely can still do it without the pool. Um, yep. You just have to know what, you know, pay attention to what the other people are doing that are doing well without a pool and try and replicate them as much as you possibly can. Like Avery always says, the enemy method. <laughs> yes. It's the best uh, method. Okay. All right. So now that we've kind of talked about the bigger ones, the pool, um, let's talk about the areas and the incomes there. So you had a little list, John, and I took some notes. So Fredericksburg, then New Braunfels and Canyon Lake, then Wimberley, then Dripping Springs, Spicewood and Marble Falls. So I notice that almost kind of sort of goes from south to north in terms of what makes the most money. Do you want to speak to any of that? Um, 
yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting for me because I don't know all these locations intimately. Right. And so I'm really just looking at it from a high level. So even when you say it goes from South to North, I can't visually picture where every single one of these places are. I tried to do it as best I can. Um, but to me, this is just telling me that there's, there's obviously something within each of these areas that's driving a lot of revenue. Um, and so I know Fredericksburg for sure. That's one I, I do know. Canyon Lake is obvious because it has a lake around it. Wimberley was kind of in between perfectly between um, Austin and San Antonio. Um, but you, the way that I always think about this is I love markets where there's a ton of money being made across a lot of properties. I always talk about this. I love going into really competitive markets because the the reason I like it is because there's so much demand. There's People are willing to pay so much money for an Airbnb in that specific area because it's so rare, so uh, so desirable, whatever it may be. And I know how to put together an amazing listing. And so if I were to be looking at these different markets and trying to decide like which one do I want to go into, I may not get the, I mean, I'm definitely going to be paying more for the home in Fredericksburg compared to Johnson City, which are side by side. However, I know for a fact I can make like a lot more in Fredericksburg than I can in Johnson City. And so I would be, um, I would be okay with that knowing that I could put together a listing that would be even better in Fredericksburg. I don't know if that's exactly what you were uh, the type of answer you're looking for, but that's kind of where my brain goes is like, how do I analyze these different areas? How do I make sense of which one I want to go into? And what do I think about each of these different spots? No, I mean, I love the like data only perspective that you're giving, because I think that helps a lot of people who are listening, who also are not necessarily familiar with the different areas and they, they don't care where it is. They want to go where, where they can make the most money. So yeah, I really like that answer. Yeah. And like, I kind of mentioned this already, but I feel like Fredericksburg, New Bonsfeld, Canyon Lake, these in Wimberley, like these are like safer locations in my opinion. So if you were to be, if you have, you know, a good amount of money and uh, you're not looking to make crazy amount of cash flow and you're just looking for a good, like second home that could potentially cover the expenses, it feels like those would be the areas that would be more so focusing on than than the other ones that uh, Karen was talking about that obviously would be the significantly better deals, which I, I kind of already mentioned. But um, yeah, it's just that's that's where my that's how my brain goes. Like if I was thinking about this for TechFester, we would be looking at Fredericksburg first, then New Bronzeville, and I would kind of slowly make my way down the list to where there would then be less demand. And I'd be trying to find the inefficiency where the home values become lower, but the demand keeps up. And that's where Wimberley like perfectly hits. You know what I mean? So Wimberley is the area where there's still a ton of demand, but the home values are are getting a little lower. Remember, Avery said you can't say that. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apologize. We'll delete that. I can't help it. It's just, I was, I was too impressed. There was, there was actually like one home there right now. It's $560,000, tons and tons of character, large, had a lot of land. And I was looking at it I'm like, this actually would probably be a great buy uh, for anyone. So Whenever I find that, I know it's a good area. Awesome. Well, text me that one. I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so maybe you. I have. Um, okay. Awesome. So, uh, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense. So there's New Braunfels is, there's a lot of waterfront properties. Same with, uh, not a ton of waterfront properties in Wimberley, but they exist. Uh, so what do you guys think in terms of views versus like hill country views versus river or lake views? And does it? matter um i so whenever there was a river in any of the areas all the top properties seemed to be on the river it would be about 90 percent of them were on the river um as for views i it's called the hill country but i there were barely any hill views in my opinion when i was going through all these different listings so it seemed like the riverfront views uh in the lake views were definitely a larger revenue driver in comparison to anything else 
um, if we're comparing those three, but that's just my overview. Um, what are your guys' opinions? I was going to basically, yes. If you have a river, um, if you're on a river or have a river view, obviously you're going to be able to demand a higher revenue, um, cause those are higher in demand. Uh, but even things that are not on a river will still rent. It's just the ADR is going to be a little bit lower. Um, there's not a ton of properties with views in the Texas Hill Country. So when they do come available, I sent everyone last week that had the best views I had seen in the Hill Country um, because it, it's just not that common. Um, but they do well if you can find them. They're they're just rare. So I'd like to say uh, our property does so well primarily because of the views. Uh, we're Lake Travis, but it's a five-minute drive, I'll say, five to seven-minute drive. Uh, but the views are unbelievable. I mean, I have not find, found another property like that. And uh, that's the number one reason people rent our place. That's People use it as a backdrop for the weddings. Mm-hmm. And again, if you're interested in looking, John, you can go to uh, AA Stays, mm-hmm. www.aa, as in Adventure Awaits, AA Stays, S-T-A-Y-S.com, and you'll see it there. Yeah, we'll definitely be talking after this. I have, <laughs> I have a ton of questions I want to go and ask you. Um, but the the one thing I did notice, and Stacey, you, you've said it this twice now, where it's like, um, even if you don't have a pool, it'll still get rented. Even if it doesn't have views, it'll still get rented. I'm assuming you're saying that just because it is rare to find a property that's on the water or that has views or that has a pool. Because when I was looking for all these different homes, because I, I, I'm trying to find a deal, right? I'm, I'm like, okay, let's find one by the water. How much do they make? Find one with the pool. How much do they make? And there's just not a lot of them. Yeah. And so you, you, you know, but there's a lot of land for sale that's along the waters. Right. So like, I'm curious if building is something that people should be considering out there. Sure. Maybe that's another podcast, but just throwing that out there. My only hang up with building and I've, I'm dealing with this when trying to build like a house that we're going to live in that's on potential water, which is not happening by the way, uh, is that you run into things with, wetlands and you can, and the actual allowable buildable area of a lot when it's on the water, depending on how big it is, you know, if you're you're buying 30 acres, it doesn't matter. Um, so that's, I think there may be some red tape to get through in that. And I also, when it comes to short-term rentals, I'm always would rather just buy something that's existing and not start from the ground up, even if I have to do a big rehab so I can start making money faster, but I'll let Stacey speak to that. Yeah. It really comes down to time to market. Um, you know, how, how building is going to take a lot longer. Um, and you know, there's always unknowns when you get into building with delays that you might face and things like that. Um, but yeah, I think there's a huge opportunity to, to do that. If you have the patience and are, can wait before you start making that revenue. Agreed. It, it, I mean, that's always the hang up with that. Unfortunately, even with tech, yeah. we don't, we don't buy anything that needs a lot of work. We're, we're pretty much from the time we buy it to the time it's up and running, it's three months, sort of like maximum. Um, yeah, we want that cash flow. Yeah, but I'll also uh, caution you guys a little bit, right? Um, yes, it's a pain to do it, but I think it's uh, in the long run, it's paid off for me at least. You know, I bought that property of mine at 1.225, put in about 250 to 260 into the, into the property to rehab the entire property. It took me a long time, it was a pain, right? It was painful, but when I did the cash out refi, it valued at close to $2 million. I pretty much got my original investment out of the deal. So my cash on cash return is technically through the roof right now. And I was, uh, you know, I'm able to redeploy some of that money elsewhere, right? Uh, So 
there's a lot of opportunity there, uh, at least in the Texas market, because there are properties that are unique and nice and, you know, that are just not in, in, in a great shape. And as long as you have the right team in place, um, the reason why it was a pain for me when I first started this is I didn't have the right team in place. I didn't have the right contractors to work with. But now I have the right team. Now I'm open to it. I love adding square footage to the property. It instantly improves the value of the property so much. And, and I, I really enjoy that. Uh, of course, only in markets where I have a good team that I know I can reach out and say, hey, I need you guys in there next week and I need this done in, in six weeks, right? And, and they're able to work on that for me, but they need to jump if and when I find that property. But luckily in some markets, I have that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that definitely works if you like know you want to be in a certain area and you know, this is where you want to own and this is what I'm going to do. And you're right. You can add a lot of value that way. Um, It can be cheaper and depending on the market, I just don't want somebody to message me and be like, you're wrong about this. It can be cheaper depending on the market to do a build than to buy something existing. So, you know, it comes down to what I always say is it just, it depends on the deal. There's no way that works every time all the time the, that is the right and only way this uh this actually might be a great time to transition into unique small romantic places right okay, because, let's do that <laughs> yeah because if you it, there's a lot of land for sale and let's say you put up like a, a a dome or something along those lines you're not necessarily building right you're just kind of putting like a platform for the the dome or tent to or yurt to be on um, but it seems like this is such a great market to create those unique experiences and unique romantic states because for two reasons, one being obviously the wedding and it gives a place for the uh, the bride and groom to be able to go after the wedding that's sort of their own. But then at the same time, you Austin is only a two hour drive away um, for most of this. And so is San Antonio. But couples love to just be able to get away for the weekend, spend a little time together, very remote, secluded, whatever it may be, and then head back. Right. And so that was you know, uh, that's an opportunity that I think without a doubt would work. And I, I even, I have a guy who uh, really likes unique places and I sent him a deal already while I was going through all of the, um, my own analysis, there's like a six unit, uh, all unique little things. And it was along the river for under a million dollars. And I was like, this would easily cash flow over 200,000 um, done properly. Yeah, the the uh, only thing I'm going to caution you. And I think, you know, a lot of people are getting into this, uh, this, you know, hey, the unique stuff is great. So the domes are great. Uh, they're good for cash flow. The yurts are great for cash flow. The tents, the glamping tents that people put on a platform are great for cash flow. But Avery and, and Stacy confirm or deny this, right? To me, cash flow is great. But if you're looking at building long-term wealth, you want real square footage, right? And that's not the yurt. That's not the dome. That's not your tent. So that's why to me, if I'm going to put something up, and it's not a permanent structure of some sort. It's all I'm doing is I'm creating more work to generate more cash flow, but long-term legacy building and wealth isn't there, right? So this is why this, I think, is what differentiates A-frames from any of this. So I don't know, Stacy and, and Avery, confirm or deny. You know, A-frames to me are permanent structures, are actual buildings, right? And they're not temporary structures and add real square footage to it. And this is why I'm in in um, in 2024. I will be building two to three A-frames on my existing 10-acre property in places where it would not hinder anything that's going on right now because we have a separate access, and I would be able to bring people can access it from that way. It'd be a little A-frame village on the property so that uh, we can maximize the revenue potential offered. But A-frames to me add real square footage. Domes don't, uh, and and yurts don't. 
Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And I, here's my take on it is, yes, those things can be great for cash flow. So maybe if you're just starting and you don't have the resources to be able to get a loan to build, things like that, that can be a great way to go. Uh, because I mean, they're honestly, some of them are not that much cheaper. I've seen some of those tents be like 70 grand where like you could just put that down on a house. Um so the goal should be to own the actual real real estate. Like a lot of this stuff is cute, the domes and the tiny houses and the whatever, uh, but it's not actual real estate. So you're not getting all of the benefits. You're just getting that one benefit of cash flow. So I totally agree with that. You want real on a foundation. A lot of places, a lot of counties will have minimum minimum square footages for building. So you want to make sure you're paying attention to that too. So you don't build something that has no value. Um, so yeah, you want real real estate as the end goal. Uh, so it can be a great way to get started, but it shouldn't be like, that should just be a means to an end. I think I just want to mention that I fully agree wholeheartedly with that. (laughs) That is like, without a doubt. Um, that's, that's actually the hang up that I always have because I always, I I live in a small little town where I could easily put up a a dome and it would make like $50,000 a year. Wouldn't cost me all that much. It would be cash flowing right away. But I always think to myself, like I could definitely use my money to be putting it into actual real estate and getting the equity and the long-term wealth over just this fun, unique little thing that will drive maybe $20,000 of cash flow, right? Um, so fully agree with that. But you know, for the person who is looking into unique places, Hill Country is definitely a place to go for it. Yeah. And that's the cool thing about real estate is there's a thousand ways to be successful. You just have to follow through. Uh, yeah. All right. So, oh, go ahead, Karan. Uh, I was going to mention one more thing. You know, for example, I know uh, Avery, you spoke about uh, Wimberley. Wimberley is really good. Just keep in mind the regulations there. Uh, there's some permitting process that you have to go through for it. Um, there's areas in Texas, and I don't know if this exists in other places, but in Texas, you've got what they call the extraterritorial jurisdiction. Do you guys hear about that before? ETJ? I have heard about that, but go ahead and uh, give us a, a definition. And, and ETJ. You're not in the town. You're not in whatever town it is. You're on the outskirts of the town. You're in the county directly. And there's no permitting process, generally speaking, for most of it. So um, to me, when I bought this property of mine, I thought ETJ was a bad thing. I'm discovering it's a great thing. For example, I don't need to go through all the hoops about you know rehabs and doing stuff like that. Um, it, it's minimal what you have to do for it. There's only a few key areas that you need to do something about it. So if you can find a property in the ETJ, uh, you have a lot more flexibility with it. Good to know. Yes. Yeah, that's a great call out. Wimberley did recently pass some regulations that um, have made it almost impossible to rent in the city limits to get a permit in the city limits. So outside city limits is or within the ETJ is um, definitely where you want to be. And we have some other areas in the Texas Hill Country that have similar regulations. Um, so it's very important that you know the areas you're working in and know you know what restrictions you're dealing with. Absolutely. And uh, are there any other points or anything else anybody wants to hit on about what uh, about best places to buy in terms of income, types of properties, anything like that in terms of revenue that we have not mentioned yet? One thing I, well, I didn't mention yet is I did look at the seasonality of this, these markets and it's weekend heavy, like heavy, heavy, meaning, you know, even in it seems like uh Seems like you can get rented out almost every single weekend throughout the entire year, which to me is great because that's where you make the vast majority of your money in the first place. And a lot of other places, you know, you you don't get weekends booked out even in the slow season, but it seemed like here you could still get weekends booked out. So that was one thing that we didn't talk about. Mine is a little different. I clicked on something. My mistake, Avery. Sorry about that. Um, What I'm 
going to say is, you know, in conclusion, you know, you've got markets like Smokies, right? Uh, and Avery, correct me if I'm wrong, but to me in the Smokies, if you buy a three bedroom or a four bedroom, you make that $100,000, no problem, plus or minus a little bit, you know, five, you, you're almost sure it's going to rent, you're going to make the money, you'll get a good return on your investment, boom, you're done. In, and then there's markets like Texas Hill Country, which is lesser defined. It's not as well defined as Gatlinburg, as the Smokies, Pigeon Forge, where you know that you can expect certain things. So that allows you the flexibility of either going way big or, you know, you may, you may you know, completely blow it out, out of the water or you may crash and burn completely, right? You know, they talk about this whole concept of if you make it, they will come. So to me, that applies so much more. If you build it, they will come. That applies so much more in Texas. If you can build that through experience for the gas, they will absolutely come and you will defy all the odds, right? And, and you know, John, you brought a good example right in time about the weekend market, right? Our occupancy, again, in the worst time of the year, which is the winter, right? In, in March, we had, I want to say, over 60% occupancy, a lot of weekdays booked, the whole nine yards. Again, to me, this market is more about what you make out of the property versus people just coming to the market. So if you're able to buy a property, it doesn't matter where it is, what it is, if you're able to create that experience and market it the right way, people will come. So buying the property the right way, the right kind of property, there's no one size fits all. Like in the Smokies, you know, I buy a three bedroom and it's with a pool or a four bedroom with a pool. I can be sure about something. You know, this is my, you know, approximately what I'll make and it's a kind of a safer bet. In Texas Hill Country, you want a little more, you want a little more vision. It's not about what you see, it's about what you can make it. So that's where most people stumble. You know, they get on this path of buying a property in the hill country, but a lot of them are, are um, uh, gun shy because they're like, you know what? I, I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't feel it because you don't, there's not one size fits all. Not like every property looks similar or is the same kind, same characteristics. Every property is different and unique. So it's going to be more about what you make out of it versus what it is. And I want to add to that because you know the market really well. So you've figured out how to do this and you've done it over and over again already, right? If you're not from this market and you have it and you don't know what to do, you don't know exactly the buy box and how to put it together. The way that you can get to that answer is by studying all of the properties that are making the most amount of money. I talk about this all the time. It's the enemy method that Avery always talks about. If you just simply go and look at the properties that are performing the, the best, over 100,000, over 200,000, and then start making notes on every single last thing that you're seeing and trying to find the most common things that are showing up over and over and over again, that's when you then will be able to know what the buy box is, which you've already laid out perfectly for everybody. Um, then you'll know what that buy box is. And then you can find a property that, you know, once again, has three acres, has five bedrooms, has that sort of potential. And then you can then make it into those sort of top performing listings. The ones that look like they just came out of a magazine, um, that are, that are designed a very specific way and whatnot. And so by studying those top properties, you'll be able to know how to do exactly what you're saying. And, and what I'll also add Avery, because I know this, this episode is about numbers, right? Top line numbers, not expenses. So I want to just you know, one closing remark before I, I, you know, stop is just so people know, you know, our property, this property that we spoke about, total investment about one and a half million dollars, right? Give or take one, four, five, one, four, seven, five, something like that. Uh, our expected revenue from it this year is $420,000. And uh, we already booked off that 425, we booked about 260 is already booked and we still have probably about 80 to 90 nights left mm -hmm. easily. Wow. 
Impressive. So it's about what you make out of it, guys. Again, I, I, I will insist, if you look at the buy box, that's great. But again, you need to work with an agent who knows what they're doing. Um, you know, Stacy or, you know, with, with short-term shop, whatever. Work with someone who knows to identify these properties that have the potential, right? And, and I think you can really, you can really, it'll beat any of the returns. I'm, I'm actually wanting to expand more and more in Texas because I'm seeing this potential and I have the experience now. Um, I would sell one or two other properties in a heartbeat to move my uh, assets into Texas a little more and create these unique experiences. Awesome. Well, what a great episode. I knew, not to toot my own horn, I knew Karan and John were going to be a good combination for information. So uh, thank you guys so much for coming on. And guys, if you do want to buy a house in the Hill Country with Stacy, you can email us at agents at the shop.com Or if you just have further questions, you can join our Facebook group called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. And in addition, I almost said or again, uh, we also have a Thursday live Zoom office hours call every Thursday. You can sign up to join that and ask as many questions as you'd like at strquestions.com. Thanks, guys. <laughs>